Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush Friday interview edition with the great, the handsome, <laughs> the funny, the intelligent. Oh, man. Where else should I go? Too much. Uh, <laughs> keep going. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, just the all-around uh, great guy, Mr. Jack O'Brien. Oh, thank you, Chuck. Uh, host, uh, co-host, and lead host of the Daily Zeitgeist, which I found after I did my uh, show with Miles that we have a lot of crossover people. People were really excited to have Miles on. Oh, awesome! Yeah, yeah. Uh, not, I'm not the lead host. I am. Uh, we we are co-lead hosts. Well, but, I mean, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> I am. I mean, come on, let's let's face it. I am, but I don't like to. <laughs> you and I both know you're the lead host of stuff you should know, and I'm the lead host of Daily Zeitgeist. Right. And there's no way Josh and Miles are gonna <laughs> listen. Would to have this, no so we're that. okay. Uh, so Jack, as everyone knows, especially if you listen to Zeitgeist, Jack is runs our, our LA operation and is running the comedy scene out there. I run the comedy scene, baby. (laughs) I'm like one of those, uh, shady backroom, uh, stand up (laughs) people. It's just like, kid, you got it. That's right. <laughs> I'll pay you after you set, if you're good. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I've been actually holding, and I, I think I told um, Miles this and thus the audience, but I've been holding Pulp Fiction for you because we were supposed to do this like three years ago, yeah. I feel like, and it just kind of never happened for a million reasons. And then finally, uh, a couple of months ago, I was like, wait a minute. I haven't had any of those LA folks on. Yeah, so man. let's go ahead and start knocking these I'm out. Super and, excited! Uh, I did have to turn down, I think, two guests for Pulp Fiction. I said, "I'm sorry, I can't do it." I was like, oh, "I'm holding I, it for I Jack." Appreciate that, and uh, and they understood, so they moved on to their second pick. But I'm pretty excited to talk about this movie. Good, yeah, me too. I haven't really gone. I I wrote. I used to. Um, you know, it, some of your listeners may know I used to work for a site called Cracked, and we had yes. a show called. Um, I think I did an article and an episode of After Hours about Pulp Fiction, but I, I haven't really thought or um, talked about it in a long time. So I'm excited to get back into it. And I hadn't really watched it. I uh, I watched the first half of it last night for, and it was the first time in a number of years. But yeah. I also took my uh, three-year-old and five-year-old to SeaWorld yesterday, and <laughs> that demolished my brain, like 100%. So I was only able to make it through a half before losing consciousness. But uh, Wow, three and five, huh? Yeah, I know. It's wild, Jeez. right? I'm just yeah, <laughs> I know. My, um, my daughter's going to be six in July, and it's just... That's crazy. I know. I, know. I figured it was because uh, I I was uh, listening to your classic episode with Georgia and Karen. Oh yeah. Um, and you mentioned that she was three at that time, and I was like, "That's right. got to be that's got to be out of date." But yeah, yeah, that's so wild, man. You know the deal, man. It just it's flying by. Flies by. 
And we're speeding towards death, you and I. <laughs> That's right. That's what we're here to closer do. Closer than you, but yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so I watched this. I just got finished watching it uh, about 15 minutes ago again, okay. obviously, for the... I don't even know how many times. Um, but it had been a long time since I've seen it because this is a movie that, you know, I, probably like a lot of people, I just wore out for a number of years, uh, many years ago, and to the point where I was like, I don't even know if I could ever need to watch that movie again but it was really good to go back and and see it through these eyes yeah it's you know it it spawned so many things and and so many bad movies right like Mm -hmm. so so many of the tropes and just like the you know uh fast talking criminals and you know that sort of like uh neo modern la noir kind of vibe uh that or a lot of it also happened in in Boston movies, um, but I I don't know. I was surprised at how much of it still holds up, um, and then also you know how much of it does not hold up. <laughs> like both, uh, you know, there there's it, you know the influence of movies that it spawned. It definitely gets in the way at times, but there's still so much that's just like brilliant and sort of timeless. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. Like, it holds up on its own, but it's a movie that changed, like, really changed cinema. Uh, And there were so many imitators and bad copycats that it is hard to sort of go back and remember a time. It's it's almost like a demarcation line in movie history, um, sort of pre-Pulp Fiction and after. Uh, And it's one of a number of movies that probably hold that distinction. But, like, I remember I was in college... And my friends and I had seen uh, Reservoir Dogs on VHS. So my my really good friend Jason, who's been a guest on the show, you, you know, Tarantino is one of those people who spawned proselytizers. Uh, and he, you know, everyone who saw Reservoir Dogs was like, "Oh my God, you got to see this movie!" Right. So we had all seen Dogs, and then by the time Pulp Fiction came out, it was, I mean, he was beyond on our radar. We were at the first showing on that Friday. The theater in Athens, Georgia was for a first showing on a Friday was probably a third full of cinephiles that were just super pumped up for this movie. And uh, it was there was uh, and I'm kind of tired of Tarantino now. I think he oh, yeah. he overwrites and I'm tired. Of, he's his movies are over long. But like I, I definitely went back in my brain to this time before Pulp Fiction came out and the day it came out and just how much we fucking loved him. Yeah. Speaking of speeding towards death and the uh damage <laughs> the damages of aging, I, I I actually went back and watched like some interviews with him yeah. um around the time the Pulp Fiction came out, like just the first, you know, ten, fifteen minutes of uh his Charlie Rose interview at that time. Um uh-huh. and I was amazed how much more tolerable he was back then. Yeah. Uh, he it's it's one of those things where uh we, as we age, we tend to lean into the uh, things that make us us, and mm-hmm. and that can for better uh, for, for worse. Some, yeah, for better and for worse. <laughs> like there's some of his interviews are are pretty brutal these days, but back then it was really he was just you know a really interested, uh, interesting person who was just like kind of consumed by his love of movies and um, he kind of felt like one of us. Like yeah, he was, exactly. He, he felt like I mean I guess Kevin's. I can't remember when Clerks was. I mean, it was sort of around that time, but these were the first dudes who came out 
who felt like, uh, and he very much was, he was, he was the video store clerk who made a movie. And, uh, I was a video store clerk in college and so many film lovers were video store clerks. So it was, it was definitely like, man, these movies are being made now by people that are like me that have our sensibilities. And, uh, it's, it's very, you got to really go back to remember when it was so fresh and so unique and different and interesting. Yeah. The, uh, just watching, uh, I watched Pulp Fiction, the first half of Pulp Fiction on the X-ray view, uh, with, uh, on Amazon prime where they like have little, it's like watching it with like pop-up video. And oh, I haven't heard of that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's okay. I, I was also watching it on my phone, like on a train, right. uh, just huddled <laughs> in the corner. So, uh, not, not ideal viewing. I, I'm sure Tarantino would not, uh, have approved of the way I watched it. But no. one thing that, uh, uh, that I hadn't totally appreciated is how much this movie is just a, a mixtape of like scenes that he's pulling from, mm-hmm. uh, just the most obscure movies, but it's, you know, it's a, it's like, um, I've heard people describe early Kanye West as like, he just has a really good ear and he's just pulling like strands from all these different things that he's heard throughout his life. And that really oh, feels like, like even down to the conversation that happens between Travolta and, um, his drug dealer as Mia Wallace is like ODing on the yeah. drug dealer's floor, like that kind yeah. of panicked back and forth, uh-huh. uh, conversation is lifted like down to the the dialogue is lifted from some movie called like uh i I forget it's like needle city or something and it's like about like drugs from the 70s but just his ability to like pull the most obscure shots and moments from all these movies uh was something i didn't appreciate at the time you know when i when i saw it i was 14 13 uh-huh. in in uh high school and you know it just uh appeared to be like a fully formed um work of genius like ported in from some sort of parallel universe it was yeah uh, yeah yeah really totally me i away. mean i guess it's a good topic to, to get into a little bit because you know tarantino is a uh he's borrowed from a lot of people he uh I mean, like you said, right down to like certain lines of dialogue and the way they're said even. And, you know, it's, (laughs) I just have such mixed feelings about the guy, especially after so many movies of his that I thought were sort of overlong and indulgent. And, Mm. uh, but you know, there is something to be said for, for being unashamed about that and being like, I am the video store clerk who's, who's seen every movie. Yeah. And, uh, cause I mean, it's still original. He's, he's pulling from his influences He's paying homage. It's like the kindest way to say it. I think his critics would say he rips people off, but yeah, he can't argue with the result. I mean, it's a really great, fun, entertaining ride at the movies. Yeah, I I have absolutely no compunction about. It. Like I I don't uh, think any less of his work because yeah. he he is creating a fully new thing, and I think that that's something that you know movies in particular uh, can do and. Uh, it it doesn't make them any less creative. It just means that you're kind of learning more about culture that you never you never would have seen otherwise. I was never going to watch any of those movies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and if anything, he probably inspires people to go and check out some of this stuff. And 
turns people on to, you know, the black exploitation movies and movies of the seventies and, you know, yeah. all these sort of B movies that he, he loves so much. Um, I, I probably would have never, or who knows, maybe it would have, but he definitely turned me on to a lot of stuff I wouldn't have known about otherwise. Yeah. The thing that I'm most kind of conflicted about is, uh, just the casual racism throughout this movie uh, yeah. of the characters. And then um, a part that I didn't get to on last night's viewing um, is the part that he actually stars in where mm -hmm. um, John Travolta and Samuel Jackson bring uh, uh, his, a, a dead body to his house to like dispose mm -hmm. of it. And he's just, you know, throwing the N word around like, repeatedly um and it's i i don't know like on the one hand i think one of the things that he does well is sort of writes for people who are like a different i don't know like class than most people like the i think he really has like a an ear for the poetry of like how people talk who are who maybe like didn't go to college you know and right. are um and he like you know uh respects them and like engages with their brilliance and like is able to like have uh people like that express themselves in brilliant ways without it seeming you know like a uh like it's over the top or unrealistic but mm -hmm. at, at the same time it's uh you know i i think it is weird i i'm fully on board with spike lee's kind of questions around well why why do you have to be the person who's saying it right. all the time and like casually yeah. throwing it around um yeah for sure yeah uh that scene that scene today i mean i love that whole sequence it's really pretty great but it, it never occurred to me to ask the question like who who is jimmy anyway right what, yeah. is, <laughs> what, what does he do and how does he know jules right like none of that is ever explained he's kind of like this valley guy married to a nurse and he doesn't seem like a tough or a heavy the way he's reacting to everything. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but he also allows it all to happen. Right. But he's got that, uh, he's got that coffee though. He's just, he, <laughs> they, keep, they just keep coming back to complimenting his coffee. Harvey Keitel yeah. on that scene is unbelievable. Oh God. So great. The wolf. Well, what's yeah. so funny is he's this like, he's this expert that's brought in, you know, in, in the tuxedo and everything. And he basically is just like, you know, get some Windex and clean the car up. Right. It's like, that, <laughs> that's, that's right. the big master plan. Why weren't they doing that anyway? Uh, but I also think that is true about, um, about the, like how the world works that like it, a lot of times these brilliant people are just efficiently doing a thing that's pretty intuitive, you know, right. like he's, he's just like, yeah, no, clean, clean yourself up and do this. But he's just sort of putting people in order and telling them uh, to do it in an orderly fashion. But yeah. Yeah. And you know, with the coffee talk and the, I mean, what became Tarantino's signature was, was the, the Amsterdam conversation and the, the, with the Royale with cheese and like, the foot massage conversation, like he does all these things that you just weren't used to seeing in movies because movies, it was, you know, you've, you've written screenplays, I'm sure. And, and, you know, it's all, you know, the, the rule is like to keep it tight and don't put that shit in. Right. And he's, you know, made a movie that was two hours and 35 minutes long that very easily could have been about an hour 45. Right. If it would have been a movie made by someone else, like a good tight sort of neo-noir, it ends up being kind of a comedy in a lot of ways. 
But um, I don't know, man. That became his thing. He really leaned into it and and took a big chance. I mean, it was very risky, I think. And people ate it up. Oh, yeah. That, that's what they love about his movies now are those side conversations. Yeah. How many of the movies that people choose for this show, have you noticed a trend of like them mostly being movies that hit when people were a certain age? Well, that's a good question. Because this uh, hit like right at that age when I was like 13, 14, where I was first like becoming acquainted with R-rated movies and like getting to make up my own taste about right about like what what was cool and uh i don't it's know kind of half and half almost like yeah. i feel like there's a lot of that like miles picked mall rats and that was very much like you know he was a kid going to the mall and right. it just hit him like a ton of bricks he was like right. this is my life uh a lot of people do i think go with movies from their youth like that and then some they're just movies that they grew to love later uh i think my choice if i were a guest would have been jaws as my favorite movie which i didn't see till a little later because it came out when i was seven or eight or something like that uh so jaws came about a little later for me but um there i mean there's definitely something to be said for seeing movies at the right age and but pulp fiction like that was the perfect age for you but i was uh what was it 94 so i was 23 yeah, and it's also the also perfect movie age. to go see when you're <laughs> right. 23, yeah. like yeah. getting high in the parking lot with That's all your true. friends in college. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, that movie for me, like I have movies that just blew my mind at like different ages. So Jaws was actually my first. Um, I saw first that movie. One. Uh, it wasn't the first movie I saw. I don't think, but it's the by the time I was like seven. Jaws was like my personality. Like I was, <laughs> I, the thing that people knew about me was that I had seen Jaws over a hundred times. And like, oh, I, really? I made sure they knew that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was a, That's amazing. I was obsessed with Jaws and sharks and, um, it's kind of the perfect movie. I, yeah. I still maintain that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I loved Jaws. Then this was like kind of, uh, this and Reservoir Dogs were kind of, the high school movies for me. And I still like remember even like family vacations where like all we listened to was the Pulp Fiction soundtrack yeah. and yeah. Um, <laughs> just, and then Magnolia was like the movie in, yeah. in college that I, where my friend and I like went and saw it twice. And then our parents came for like one weekend and we made them go watch it with us. And they were oh, like, wow. what the heck is this? Um, yeah. I, but I yeah. just, I remember, I remember the experience of seeing it in the theater and the exhilaration after the uh, that opening scene with that freeze frame and Amanda Plummer jumping out of that booth and like the Dick Dale song coming in and all of us were just. I remember looking around. It was probably like four or five of us, just like nodding at each other, like, "Oh man, this is gonna fucking over <laughs> over deliver." So cool, yeah. And it did, and it over delivered. You know, from beginning to end, and. Uh, it's a movie that I don't know if I'd ever wanted to rewatch and go see a movie quicker than Pulp Fiction. We we might have gone the next day. I don't really remember, but it was very soon after. Yeah, Honey Bunny and Ringo are yeah. <laughs> um, that that's the two characters that open the movie, and I think it's 
like it's what it's what made me have that thought that I mentioned earlier about like how it's kind of dumb people, but written by people who love them and yeah. like kind of live for the way they talk and are like, you know, just want to create art out of, <laughs> but like the conversation where you like look at the content of the conversation, mm-hmm. it's very ill-advised and very like, and she's like, what happened to the kid? Uh, and he's like, there wasn't a kid. Like that's right. beside the point. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, he's also a complete idiot uh, as he explains why, why this plan makes sense in his brain at this moment. Um, but it's just the, the writing and the, and the way they talk is just so fun to watch. Yeah. And, you know, I think so many of Tarantino's things are clearly his own musings, uh, kind of like a Kevin Smith, but, uh, I think probably better. Um, and like scenes are born out, out of an idea he has. And he, Tarantino obviously at some point thought, why don't people rob restaurants? Right. <laughs> and then you build a scene around that. But all of these conversations though, all of these sort of fun side conversations, they, they do serve two purposes. They are fun for the audience and they're funny and they became a signature, but very few of them are just sort of there. Like they usually still serve the story in some way. Like the, oh, the foot, yeah. uh, the foot massage conversation, fucking great, classic, yes. hysterical. And you think like, no, just get up there and get into the room. They even right. stop and say, well, no, let's go talk a little bit yeah, more. Yeah. It's not but that's serving yet. the story because now you know who Marcellus Wallace is and how he might react. You know who Mia Wallace is and eventually learn that she's going to go on a date. So it's, it's sort of set right. up for people you're going to meet soon. And it raises the stakes of that first climax of the first story to right. incredible heights when you yeah. think that uh, Marcellus Wallace threw somebody out of a window for touching her feet. Then you are, you know that Vincent Vega is going to be dead uh, if if this doesn't work out, if he can't right. revive her. Um, yeah, it's... It's really, yeah, he just kind of luxuriates in the in the language uh, of a group of people. I felt like that is kind of the the beauty and art of this movie that like was just on you you couldn't imitate it, right? Like that right. that's the thing that anytime somebody else tried to do it, it was the it, it just didn't work. Um, and then also like there are these little. Like that, there's that moment at the at the beginning, the freeze before she's done saying, "Yes," or I'll execute every last one of you. And yeah, it freezes like before she's done saying the sentence. And it's I'm glad like, you brought that up. It's, it's so such interesting. A interesting and like cool. Uh, I don't know. Like that moment, I was like, "See, this is what is missing from every other version of this," because it's right. like. It's also him saying, like, I've seen all the French New Wave movies. Like, I've, I've right. seen them all. That's what's influencing this. Uh, and, but it's, yeah, it's just a level of, like, artistry that um, you, can't, you can't imitate. It's, a, it's impossible to imitate. What was the deal with that? I mean, did he ever speak on that that you know of? I think he did. Um, so Pulp Fiction is one of those movies that I like so much and have thought so much about that um, I 
don't want to hear everything he has to yeah. say about it because I I think my theories are better than his theories uh-huh. about what <laughs> okay. the movie's about. <laughs> so so like uh, I have a whole theory about how that another thing that happens in that scene is she says that line differently right at the beginning of the movie than she yes, does yes. at the end of the movie. Yeah, and he has said. Oh, well, that was just a mistake. We just like did multiple takes. But I, so I have a whole kind of theory of this movie as like being about the multiverse. Um, and which, (laughs) which is, so the very first thing that people said to me when, when they saw it and I hadn't seen it yet, um, they were like, it's weird, man. Like a guy comes back to life and it's <laughs> because it's told out of order and they like weren't, uh, a- weren't able to like wrap right. their mind around that. Um, <laughs> well, it was very different at the time, you know? <laughs> oh, totally. Uh, and so, yeah, I remember, I just remember a friend of mine in eighth grade in Kentucky being like, it's weird. John Travolta comes back to life, man. It's, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but then I saw it and I was immediately like, that kid's an idiot. Like, that's not what this is about. Um, but at the same time, I do think like that little difference, the, and, and it is a difference that happens in the very first scene of the movie and the mm-hmm. very last scene of the movie. Right. So I think it's important. Um, and I think the reason it exists is because the movie is secretly about <laughs> this quantum, like, did, have you heard of like quantum machine gun thought experiment? Yeah. So I think that is partially what this movie is about. Uh, and I think there's like the version of that scene that we see in the beginning uh, is different from the one that we see at the end. Um, and the one at the end is the one where Vincent and Jules have, uh, survived the shooting miraculously. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the like one in a million, um, shooting where the guy runs in and fires eight shots at them point blank and all of them (laughs) miss and they kind of look around themselves and then kill him. Uh, so I think, that is the one that we're seeing at the end where that happened. And the one at the beginning is where that didn't happen uh, and where they're dead. And that's why it like freezes when it does. And um, that's why her line is slightly different is because Uh she, at the end of the movie, when they look around, they see Jules and Vincent there. And that like slightly throws that version of the universe off. Whereas uh, or sorry, the did I say the beginning? Sorry, it's very confusing, and that's why uh-huh. I don't often talk about it. But I love it, uh, dude. But yeah, so just that idea that um, like it's fate tied in with religion, tied in with physics, right? Uh, just really appealed to my like stoner fourteen year old brain at the time. Yeah, and they, I mean, I think I noticed today more than ever the amount of happenstance and another way to say that is fate or multiverse like if uh if that watch hadn't have been forgotten and that watch had an importance then none of the rest of the movie would have happened exactly uh if he hadn't have happened to see ving rames crossing the street in the crosswalk 
it would yeah. have turned out different if he hadn't if butch hadn't have gone into that one fucking bond shop right, that one with these shop. hillbilly rapist or if travolta hadn't had to take a shit uh and he would have just been in the apartment waiting for him or the second time he is taking a dump in the restaurant like he would have reacted differently than uh than jules did certainly right it might have been a shootout from the beginning he wouldn't have sat around and philosophically debated what to do so so i think you're right I yeah. think there is a multiverse thing going on. Yeah, I think, I don't know. At, at least I think that was like happening in the back of his mind. Uh, and I, I also think it's an interesting way to view, um, like I, I think it's an interesting outlook on, on the universe. Like the, mm-hmm. the idea that in some versions of, so the quantum machine gun theory, I'm sure you haven't talked about it much on this podcast, but it basically says that, um, you know, if you had these, uh, a what's called a quantum machine gun where like each round splits off like uh, the quantum theory is basically that each moment you're splitting off into like a bunch of different branches of possibility mm-hmm. um, and so there are going to be universes where you're basically unkillable uh, yeah. because because that's just like there are going to be uh, like branches of probability where you continue to exist, even if in nine hundred ninety nine thousand out of a million branches of probability you're dead. There's going to be that one where things have worked out where you miraculously exist, and right. so um, yeah, I, I think that's what Jules is like sort of grappling with when he yeah. when he's talking about that stuff. Um, yeah i mean when he brings it all around at the end it's so it's so great because he's um he's having sort of an existential crisis obviously because of the uh uh the survival of of that you know near-death experience and the way he reframes the ezekiel verse and breaks it down about what he used to think it meant what it could mean but what the reality is that does not get old man that is still as fresh and like i was just loving that scene today at the end all over again where whereas some of the rest of it you know when you've seen something so many times over the years was just like treading water a little bit that one man i was just like my my hands were clenched tight and i was like yes yes yeah. yes i mean so all good. the performances and especially samuel L. jackson's are unbelievable are so so good yeah, I mean, let's talk about the casting. It's you, you can't show this movie to a a twenty year old today and fully <laughs> right. express to them like, wait a minute, Sam Jackson was not the Sam Jackson that you know now. Like a year earlier, he was known for "Hold On to Your Butts" and right. having small parts in a bunch of movies. Travolta was a almost washed up forty year old laughing stock. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he did the "Look Who's Talking" movies. I look today, he did six movies most of which I think three of which were look who's talking movies in the previous five years. He did 16 movies in the following five years. Uh, but you can't explain this, uh, uh, like a 20 year old today. Like, no, you don't understand Travolta. Everyone was like, he put who right. in his movie. <laughs> yeah. And or, did you know, did you know this detail, which came to me via the, uh, Amazon prime pop-up video, uh, <laughs> feature that he, that Daniel Day-Lewis begged to be Vincent Vega. I think I did see that. 
and Quentin wow. Tarantino, like this, like, I don't know, late twenties, early thirties, like second time director turned yeah. down Daniel day Lewis <laughs> to cast the guy from look who's talking to. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know that's who Travolta was at the time. Uh, and, and it's very easy to forget that because he just, I mean, boy, talk about really making the most out of a new opportunity in life. <laughs> uh, his performance is like, I, I, he can do anything uh, in any movie from this point forward because yeah. his performance did. as Vincent. <laughs> yeah, and he did. Exactly. Well, old dogs, there's something to be said for old dogs, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but like Uma Thurman wasn't super well known at the time. Right. Ving Rhames, nobody really knew who he was. Bruce Willis was a TV guy, then an action star. Yeah. Like, all of the casting was really, really inspired, I think. Yeah, this was before Bruce Willis, like, started. I, I, I had kind of thought that, like, well, this was, he was the one person who this wasn't that big a deal for, but it was. I mean, he, yeah, he was more in, uh, Die Hard, or yeah, like yeah. Bruce Willis movie. I uh, I did skip over a period of my movie devotion where my favorite genre of movie was just Bruce Willis movies. Right, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just anything Bruce Willis was in. Oh Hudson yeah, Blind Hawk. Date. Give it to me. Like, yeah, I was like Die Hard's good, but uh, Hudson Hawk is actually like for the real <laughs> Bruce Willis heads, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's uh, the dancing scene is. You know, completely. I'm sure that's why he turned down Daniel Day Lewis over, over John Travolta. Uh, oh. The the dance off with between Uma Thurman and John yeah. Travolta is it's hard just, to picture Daniel Day Lewis doing right. That. But it's such just like pure joy. Like that. That was the thing that the moment last night on on the uh, Amtrak when when I was watching it, and I was just like kind of laughing out loud to myself out of like just glee of like how how much fun that scene is yeah i mean it became uh that scene in itself i mean so much of this movie became like pop culture history but uh certainly that dance scene i mean how many people were doing right that, the that move with yeah. the fingers over the eyes for like years afterward and uh just the whole that whole sequence of the jackrabbit slims was was so fun and like so expensive clearly to shoot right um for a 20 million dollar movie i mean 20 million dollars is good budget but it's it's not that big um and they they built all that stuff out you know that was a lot of dough to spend on a, a dinner date basically yeah yeah uh, but yeah just a i think when i think of the movie that scene is what pops into my head um yeah. and there's something that's just you know so purely like it kind of ties together all these themes of, you know, the cultural nostalgia and just like love for American culture and love for American movies that is just shot through the movie. Yeah. You know, throughout, but like that just kind of puts it on the surface and is, is just a lot of fun. I'm curious to see what a 13, 14 year old thought about the briefcase. Uh, I was one of those guys who, didn't care and never overthought it and never like got online and looked at theories and what could it be. I was always just like, you know what? It's, it's something valuable and yeah. special. And that I didn't really care. Yeah. I didn't care. I didn't think there was an answer. Um, and didn't, and thought that the search for an answer was, uh, I probably had like pretentious ideas about like 
come on, man, you guys don't get it. Like that's <laughs> the point is there is no answer. Uh, but like people, yeah, I never bought into the theory that it was Marcellus Wallace's uh, soul. And, right. uh, you know, so there, there is a very popular theory that uh, because Marcellus Wallace has a Band-Aid on the back of his, right. like the base of his <laughs> uh, bald head, um, that <laughs> it's always very nebulous because people are like, there are theories on demon possession that say that's where the devil pulls your soul through. And it's like, right. oh yeah, the the official like uh scientific guide to demon possession says that right uh, exactly I, I wonder if that if that idea was just invented by somebody for for the purposes of this theory but that th- then the briefcase they open it uh with the combination 666 and then it's sure. glowing and people are like that's because it's Marcellus Wallace's soul and like they're trying to return it to him which is just as good an interpretation as any, yeah, uh, sure. but it's not, I don't think it's like definitive. And I, I do think this is one of those movies. It, it reminds me of like in, in, at the end of inception when people are like, no, you can tell it does fall because and it's like, no, they, he doesn't want you to have the answer to that right. question. Like that's kind of the point. Um, but one thing that a uh, pop-up video told me is that, those originally like in the screenplay it was diamonds and that it was going to be like loosely implied that these were the diamonds from the reservoir dogs heist which i the ice yeah (laughs) which uh i love that i love that because well and also so vincent vega is a brother is brothers with uh Vic Vega from right. Reservoir Dogs. That's Mr. Blonde, right? Yeah. And I think Madsen was originally going to play Travolta, but he was making, uh, or play uh, play Vincent, but he was playing, God, which movie was it? Some some different movie he was in. Right. Good and call so on he, his part. Yeah. So he, <laughs> um, the, that, but that, that also, like the confidence to, uh, already be building this kind of massive um tarantino universe is Mm -hmm. is one of my favorite things that he did throughout his later movies that um you know that it's implied that inglorious bastards happens within the uh same universe as like pulp fiction and that the reason that we live in this like you know, because the universe is slightly off, right? Like the mm-hmm. things just aren't quite right. Uh, there, there's just more, I think, gun violence than uh, in our world, uh, or may, maybe not. I guess at this point, right. but um, <laughs> but they uh, like the it, you you can kind of think about this world where um, Hitler was killed by a bunch of avenging uh jewish american soldiers and right. like in this bloody like orgy of violence and see a reason that <laughs> that this pulp fiction and jackie brown in these movies where um crime is more uh, i don't know just everywhere and yeah. uh gunfights happen in the streets more often than you would expect um uh, are uh, 
like why that could have happened because guns saved say like one world war ii oh interesting um i love all this stuff jack yeah i spent way too much time thinking about (laughs) about this movie and all, all his movies So we sort of kind of briefly mentioned the unconventional timeline and, you know, telling the movie out of order. It is not something that Tarantino invented by any means. Uh, and, but it was at the time really, really different for, uh, I mean, I guess it was an independent film, but it became mainstream, a mainstream movie. You, you just didn't see this a lot. And there was a lot of, he put a lot of trust into the audience, I think, to, to go along for this ride and to figure it out. Um, but it's a really fun device and it's been so overdone since then, of course. But at the time, it was a really, really... I mean, that's really what made the movie stand out, I think, was telling it in these really weird pieces. And it allowed him to do things like showing uh, showing Jules and Vincent showing up in their, in their swimsuit and T-shirts at the meeting at the bar. At the beginning, yeah. yeah and, and you only and find it, out why that happened at the yeah, end. Yeah, and, and that's part of the fun of the movie is like, sort of waiting to find out what happened with that, but also forgetting about that because you're so wrapped up in the movie and then being reminded. Like, I think the goal is by the end of the movie, when they're in that diner uh, in those swimsuits for you, not for the first thing that you think of is not, Oh shit, this is the diner from the beginning. It's hopefully for you to forget that even happened and then be surprised when it cuts back over to honey bunny and Ringo. Right. And I think that was the case when I saw it. I don't think I, of course, I was getting stoned in the parking lot with all my college friends. <laughs> right. And I was just so into the movie. I don't think I saw any of that stuff coming. No. Yeah. I, it, it's one of those movies that I feel like had me so fully, uh, like right from the start that I wasn't even mm-hmm. trying to like guess anything. Um, and that's no fun. Yeah. I'm trying to guess the plot is... Uh, no fun. That's why I don't like watching these, like, uh, long sort of serialized shows as much as I like movies. Like, oh, like who movies. the murderer is. Yeah, yeah, who the murderer is. Like, I just got done with Mayor of East Town, and like, I was so invested in like one theory that I had that like when it didn't uh-huh. happen, I wasn't able to fully appreciate it. It's just, <laughs> I mean, we TV's, watched some yeah. of that, but we we couldn't get into it. I think it was. Uh, I think it was just about people that I didn't feel like watching at the time. Yeah. I heard it's good though. It is good. It's good. And my whole family, uh, is from Philly. And so it's, did they get the accents or not? They nailed the accents. Yeah. Oh, okay. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, but I, I also think the out of order, the telling it in three chapters, it, it, it lends it, I don't know. There, there's a truth to it about, or it tells you a truth about how we experience storytelling in that, mm-hmm. in the Bruce Willis story, when he, I'm, I'm assuming we don't, we don't have to say spoiler alert no, right, at this point, uh, when he kills John Travolta, uh-huh. I'm rooting for him to kill John Travolta at that point because I'm in the Bruce Willis story now. I'm yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know, I have no illusions that like they're going to make up and be friends. Um, I mean, they're all anti-heroes. Right. Like, there, there isn't... You're right. I mean, they're all sort of rootable. You're rooting for Honey Bunny and Ringo at the beginning. Right. And then, yeah, exactly. But uh, sort of that... The complexity of that is... 
just feels like it's a somebody who's working with a fourth dimension of storytelling and movies than like what I had experienced up to that time where there's like a good guy and a bad guy. Uh, Right. Which is what we were so used to. Right. And this is just this massively morally complicated and fucked up uh, universe that. um, Yeah. I mean, I guess it, he's also didn't invent the anti-hero, but again, at the time there weren't movies like this being really made. I mean, it was usually the job of a director to be, and I'm sure the studio is like, no, you have to be very clear on who your good guy and your bad guy are. Uh, because any kind of ambiguity is like, audiences don't like that stuff. Right. And I think Tarantino, uh, I think he, one big credit I will give him is that he really always, I think, gave his audience a lot of um, credit for being able to figure stuff out and to roll with things that they're not used to seeing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's what, like, I, I, I think what he did is what great art does, which is it like brings all these different influences and ideas and like images together that, um, you know, really like kind of blends. I I think the world is now a much more, you know, cinematically literate place than it would have been without Pulp Fiction, you know, without like we, now we are all like experienced with French New Wave cinema, even if we haven't seen those French New Wave movies, because almost everybody's seen Pulp Fiction. So, yeah, um, you know, it's also with the the sequence. I remember at the time, and of course now, with the ubiquity of uh, you know the internet, it's uh, people have have charted it out in sequential order very clearly all over the place online. But at the time, there wasn't a lot of that going on. So there was there were many, many late night conversations in college of trying to figure out like, well, no, what was the first thing that happens sequentially? And I remember even at the time when like iMovie first came out on, on the Mac and that was such a game changer. I was like, and, you know, one of the first things I wanted to do was re-edit Pulp Fiction uh, in order, but I couldn't figure out how to load it onto my machine <laughs> <laughs> in a way that worked. So wait, the uh, first thing that happens would be the, um, well, obviously the the wristwatch scene. If you go really back, <laughs> okay, in time yeah, yeah, the wristwatch scene, Walken. and but then that aside, yeah, their visit to the apartment building, because that has to happen. Before, yeah, I guess so. Uh, that has to happen before they show up at the bar where Bruce Willis is getting the, um instructions from Marcellus Wallace because they show up in clothes that they've already changed from having uh Marvin's brains all over all over their clothes. Um so all right, here we go. The prelude to the gold watch flashback. Yeah, then Vincent Vega and Marcellus's wife prelude. Of course they've written it in a way where I'm I don't even uh I'm not even so that I think that. that would be the conversation where they talk about the foot massage, right? Yeah, I guess that's the first thing. Wife prelude, unless... Yeah, no, I think that has to be it, right? Because he hasn't met her yet, and then all the times that we see her and him interact after that, right? Like when they're at the pool or when Oh, well, no, yeah, you you were right. That's the apartment scene, basically. Right. It's it's them driving to and then walking up, uh, taking the elevator, then walking up. Right. 
and then the very next thing that would happen would be the Bonnie situation when they when the wolf gets called in. Then the beginning is what would be next, uh, Honey Bunny and Tim Roth in the diner. Right. <clears throat> and then the whole diner sequence plays out as it plays out. Then Bruce Willis wakes up. This is according to this website. Then Bruce Willis wakes up uh, in, you know, backstage at the boxing match. Right. Then the whole date sequence with Wait, Mia and Vincent. Because, huh, I would think the date sequence happens before the before that. Because remember, he sees her when they are looking for butch after the bot after the fight he sees her and they like kind of exchange a like hi how are you like i i thought that moment was meant to be them having a moment where they're like we know a secret together do you know what i'm talking about when i think i do travolta shows up and Mia is back in the locker room with Marcellus, back, back in Butch's locker room. They're looking uh -huh. for him because he didn't throw the fight like he said he was going to. Oh, and, they look, yeah, they nod like they had already had the date, right? Right. Yeah. So huh. I thought that the date happened um, sometime like soon after the apartment sequence, and then the Butch stuff all happens. Yeah, Later. you know what, dude? I, I'm not sure if I fully trust this now from ScreenRant.com because now that I'm looking at the Bruce Willis uh, in the locker room, it says, it seems Butch is having downtime in between rounds and then it shows him leaving <laughs> and preparing to, how... to finish the fight. <laughs> I don't think that's how boxing it All works. All right, so ScreenRant, get the fuck out of here with that. I don't know. They're not... I don't buy it's not that. a sports rant, you know, I'm putting that away. <laughs> <laughs> but that but is, the point is yeah. we all wanted to try and piece it together piece and together for sure. Sequential order. And, uh, apparently they just did it wrong. <laughs> yeah. And so the very last thing that happens would be Zed's dead baby, right? Like where after yeah, yeah, that's that whole thing. And that is the close of, um, you know, but butch's, story and also uh -huh. marcellus wallace's right because he no longer yeah is trying to kill him and has had sort of a religious experience of somebody taking pity on him and right um, <laughs> i love that i love i mean let's talk about that pawn shop sequence because you know uh butch doesn't have to go back down there he's gone um, right and I, I i think i used to debate whether or not he thought he would be serving himself by saving him like hey if this guy's down there getting raped ultimately that's my fault still so he's going to come after me double right. than he would have before so i should go down there but i think i landed today on like no he just like had pity. this code and couldn't let that happen yeah it's a moment of uh yeah compassion. where he yeah where he's having <laughs> compassion which is i don't know that that's i think what another unanswerable question because we also see him having killed one of his peers in the ring and being like, and now you're asking me how I feel about it. I don't feel yeah. the least bit bad about it. It's like, that's right. That's, that's pretty true. psychotic, man. <laughs> like that's, You just murdered somebody. Um, 
And then he, we see him laughing about it on the phone with his friend. He's like, hey, you should have never bought, like started boxing. Yeah. Um, so you know, maybe you're right. I mean, it does buy him his freedom ultimately because Marcella still could have sent guys after him at some point. Right. But I feel like he has the code as well. And I believe him when he says, you know, when you when you, you be gone, stay gone, or or you be gone or whatever he <laughs> right. says. Yeah. Like I buy it. God. I mean, Ving Rams, another another actor who yeah was I'd never seen him before, and then everything after this. Yeah, he has uh, the meat. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, there's so many good, just like it, it's usually like talking about another thing that most screenwriters can't get away with that this movie does beautifully is a misunderstanding where someone's like thinks someone means something else. Uh-huh. Uh, and like there's humor ensues on that. Uh, but like the part where, what that you were just talking about where he's like, what, uh, what, what now? And he's uh-huh. like, I'll tell you what now. Right. Where he like goes into all the detail <laughs> oh, about man. all the awful things he's about yeah. to do to these guys. And he's like, no, I mean like with, <laughs> like, am I okay? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Stay gone. Be that pretty that part. fucking far from okay. I think my favorite line <laughs> My favorite line in that sequence is uh, uh, me and Mr. Soon-to-be living the rest of his agonizing short-ass life, rapist. One of my favorite uh, moments is also where they're waiting at the door to go into the apartment and he says, Marcellus is going out of town and he asked me to take care of her. And Samuel Jackson's like, take care of her? (laughs) Is just such a funny like. Well, that uh, whole that whole sequence is great with the foot massage. Yeah, I'm the foot fucking master. I don't be I'm tickling or nothing. Ma- <laughs> He's like, have you ever given him? Would you ever give a man a foot massage? Right. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just like that, yeah. There's just so many sort of off details about like how they don't knock on the door. They just go to the door, check their watches and then walk away and have like yeah. three minutes of conversation. Then right. go back and just wait for them to open the door. Um, and the Brad scene is still is, is one that has been memed so many times. Uh, yeah, but is still That's great. Like just enjoyable every single time. The, yeah. the way hit, hit Samuel Jackson's, um, just positive energy when uh-huh. he comes in the room where he's like, Hey, what's happening guys? Yeah, yeah. In but there's the such most tension though, you know, like way, in the most menace, check out the big brain on bread. Yeah. The menace, like we hadn't seen menace like done in that way before. Yeah. Uh, because there was this palpable menace intention, but it was a conversation about cheeseburgers and, and the way he reacts when, it's a genuine reaction, I think, when he says, you know, do you know why they do that? And he goes, uh, the metric system. Right. <laughs> he's genuinely he's like, like oh, wow. Okay. Check out the big brain on bread. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it, it's one of the greatest, um, almost like cartoonishly, like high status, low status. But yeah, it's just like, and couldn't be cast any better. Like Samuel L. Jackson was born to do that. Um, yeah i remember in that scene when uh i saw it the first time when um is it phil lamar that uh who plays marvin yeah 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 from mad tv i remember at the time when he 
he's the only other black guy in the mm-hmm. room. And when he speaks up and tries to answer the question and Jules turns around and yells at him, I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. <laughs> right. I remember that in my mind, I was like, oh shit. Like, like there's no, right. These guys aren't, aren't brothers or anything. Like there's no racial, like Vince is his guy. Right. Like this weird long haired looking white heroin addict. Right. And like, those are the allegiances here. And I remember thinking that's when it, that scene turned for me like, oh shit, this is like, this is serious business. These guys are here to kill somebody. Right. Yeah. 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 And also just again, again, like so mysterious, like that he's refusing to acknowledge him and, uh, but also just, yeah, like an artist of menace, just like the artistry of his menace. And, uh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? (laughs) Yeah. And Uh, you know, you don't even see that you see them raise their guns and shoot and it kind of just goes white. But aside from that, the first actual violence, and this is a movie that's known for its violence, but the first thing that you see that's violent is Vince's murder. Uh, Vincent's murder like an hour and a half into the film. Yeah. uh, Unless you count the Brad scene, which I guess he shoots a guy on the couch, but it's nothing like super graphic really. Yeah. Until he comes out of that bathroom and gets the submachine gun in the belly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... You can debate how uh, how violent the Mia Wallace scene is. The the fact that he has to use a um, oh yeah a Michael Myers motion to uh, <laughs> put put the bullet through the chest plate. Do you remember and, the tension in the theater during oh that moment God. where he has that needle raised? <laughs> but the greatest moment, the greatest thing that Tarantino does in that moment is. So there's that like tense moment and like it like goes close up on the needle with like a yeah. little bit of like adrenaline dripping off of it. I guess yeah, it yeah. is close up on like all the faces on the dot uh-huh. that he's about to hit and then close up on Trudy, his wife. Yeah. And, yeah. She's or so Jody, stoked. his wife. And <laughs> yeah. she's it, she is the audience. She's like, oh, shit, this is going to be good. Like, yeah. She's so, um, yeah, I, I thought that was so, so funny. And like, again, like just the ability of the movie to kind of like step out and be kind of meta about like give us a person who's like feeling about like watching this the exact same way we are as like whoa what's happening next um one of the funny funny. lines too and the uh who's she the one with all the shit in her face no that's jody that's my wife yeah (laughs) and he immediately like how do you react he just goes oh i'm sorry man like he he, he total his reaction was just so perfect he was like oh fuck i just got busted yeah exactly and another one of those like misunderstanding things that is so believable and so funny is right. uh, the uh, the syringe where he's uh-huh. like, and you got to bring it down in a stabbing motion. Right. And, he, and he's like, I got to stab her three times. It's <laughs> like, no. <laughs> I mean, that's the stuff that makes the Tarantino movies Tarantino movies. They are their own thing. You know, they live in their own cinematic universe and they're, uh, I mean, it shows that he is a genius, even though I might be a little sick of that genius now. And yeah. I think it is a little indulgent, but it it shows it because so many people have tried and failed to do what he does. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Over and over again, these pale imitators came out and none of them were very good. You might have been, uh, like, I don't know if this hit college the way it did uh, high school, school. <laughs> <laughs> but the way that... Um, people reacted to boondock saints 
when that oh, yeah. came out as like, dude, this guy's the next Tarantino. Like, this is just I as good. I remember that. And it was so bad. I remember being he was not. so bummed out. <laughs> uh, he was not, yeah, to quote uh, Arrested Development. Uh, <laughs> he was not the next. Um, yeah, but the just the idea that you could put people in, uh, you know, a couple caterer suits and give them handguns and uh, mm-hmm. you would be a Tarantino is was pretty frustrating when the thing that made the movie great was... I mean, because that stuff now all kind of has lost its luster because of all the imitators. But yeah. the, So it almost makes the stuff like the, um, you know, the the freeze that doesn't really make sense but is kind of cool looking as the music starts uh, yeah. at the beginning. Um, the performances, the music is still like... Apparently, he wrote this while listening to music, and like uh-huh. th- that's how it kind of came together. And like that, uh, you can you can really like the music is just so amazing throughout. Uh, but the those things I feel like all sing more because of all the trapping, all the like more um, superficial things that people it tried to imitate. Now you you like notice them and like kind of discard them quickly. Um, yeah but there's still so much cool stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just in sort of wrapping up, I think one of my, one of my favorite funny sequences, I mean, they have all the great, um, kind of speeches that they're giving each other and all that Tarantino dialogue that we love so much. But the, the sequence at, with Wolf at Jimmy's house is still, I think one of my favorite parts of that whole movie. Oh yeah. It's just so funny with the pretty please with sugar on top. And, the you know, <laughs> It doesn't have to be all spick and span, you know, but get all those itty bitty pieces of brain, like the way they're talking about the right. stuff. And then when they have to strip down the backyard, <laughs> yeah. and Kaitel says, gentlemen, you've both been to county before, I'm sure. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> and just, just so great. Going back to the coffee thing, just the brief moment where he tastes, tastes the coffee and is yeah. like, Damn, man, this is, yeah, like, wow, great coffee. Yeah, uh, and when Jimmy's making fun of the, you know, they look like dorks, and Sam Jackson goes, they're your clothes, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just so great, man. I love Kaitel so much. He's uh, so, yeah, I mean. He's just one of my favorites. Just, uh, that character is amazing. So somebody should have taken that and done something with the wolf. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. The wolf um, universe. And then, you know, the way they wrap it up, it, you know, it comes full circle in that last diner scene so perfectly. Yeah. And the, the, like that final shot, it is a comedy really. Cause the, you know, the last shot of the movie is when they, they walk up to the, the door and they <laughs> and put their, their guns in their swimsuits. <laughs> That's right. Like looking, trying to look tough and they right. still have that strut going so on. Stupid. <laughs> and they look so dumb. And, you know, I just, I've always laughed at this movie, but today I was like, this really is just sort of a comedy Yeah, with a lot of brutal stuff that happens. Yeah. Even though we know one of them is going to die, we, uh, it does end like structurally it ends like a comedy with the two people we started with being funny coming Uh out and being changed, but still kind of funny and in the same position. Um, and then honey bunny and Ringo being just like the way they walk out together, She's crying and uh, head on his shoulder, and they're they've just been brutalized. Yeah, just spiritually, like yeah, totally, uh, mentally, psychologically. Yeah. Um, one thing I 
I had always realized that something bad always happens when Travolta is going to the bathroom. Yeah. I hadn't associated. Uh, so Mia, Mia's overdose is also that where he's in the bathroom. Well, oh, that's she, right. Yeah. Which, so it's three times that he's, he's in the bathroom, going to the bathroom <laughs> and something he dies. She almost dies. Uh, and well, that's more happenstance too, because if he hadn't had picked up the heroin that day and he's out of balloons. Yeah. Right. Then she yeah. would have, Oh, I love the, uh, my Emily and I, my wife still today say, uh, Twistix. <laughs> Twit, right. He's, honey, can you get me a baggie and a Twistix out of the kitchen? <laughs> Wait, I, I'd always call them called? bread ties or something. Right, I never yeah, even heard the word Twistix. <laughs> Twistix. Yeah. Yeah. It's so great. We oh, still man. say Twistix all these years Just later. Just lousy with amazing moments and performances and lines that, yeah. Yeah. It's great. Amazing. I think we did it, Jack. Yeah. This was so fun, man. Thank you for Yeah, uh, dude. This was great. And uh, I'm sorry it took so long, but. Uh, I am glad I guarded this film because I certainly don't think anyone else would have had 13-year-old multiverse <laughs> ideas. <laughs> well, thank you so much for guarding it for me. Yeah, this uh, is great, dude. So uh, where can everyone find you? And I know listeners to the Zeitgeist know, but Daily Zeitgeist is every Monday through Friday, right? Yeah, now, twice, twice a day, a day? Yeah. yeah, so we do a kind of deeper uh, hour-long show that comes out every morning. And then in the afternoon, we just kind of look at the top five things that are trending that afternoon and just get it up quickly. So we're always on top of the zeitgeist. Um, are you on, on Twitter or Instagram? I am on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien, I-E-N, O-B-R-I-E-N. Fantastic. So check out the Daily Zeitgeist, everyone. I can't believe you guys are still killing it all these years later with such a brutal <laughs> Tough schedule. I'm sure you've got it really worked out by now, but it's uh we were all very impressed at the beginning when y'all said you wanted to do a daily show and we were like, uh are you, sure you, <laughs> yeah. you sure you can uh, get that okay. out the door? <laughs> right. Yeah, maybe weekly. What about weekly? What That's about right. the weekly zeitgeist? Somebody said. But then um, Connell would have had you up to daily at some point anyway. So Right. Well you just Connell, beat him to the punch. Connell was the one who was <laughs> trying to make us weekly or I twice know. weekly because that That's was the irony. what was uh common back then. But now Yeah, because uh, now he's like, uh, how about everyone just start doing twice as much? <laughs> yeah, Con- Connell was also the one who was like, What about a second show? What right. About a- <laughs> 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 what about a second show each day? It's good uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Right. Well, thank you, Jack, and uh, hugs to the three and five year old. And thanks, man. You too. Uh, take care. I hope to be out there soon. We'll see each other. Awesome. Movie Crash is produced and written by Charles Bryant and Noel Brown, edited and engineered by Seth Nicholas Johnson, and scored by Noel Brown here in our home studio at Ponce Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.